Welcome once again to the Gallery of Curiosities. I remain, as always, your humble host, Oldsgood. Something is different around here. No new exhibits out. Nothing missing. What could it be? That's it. My musical chorus. Thank you, Professor. I do adore a fine bass walker. December is always so quiet here in the gallery. Most people don't wish to focus on the macabre during this time of the year. But that's neither here nor there. This evening's story comes to us from Edward McDermott. Born in Toronto, he has a professional day job but spends his spare time pursuing a writing career. Aside from taking writing courses and participating in writers' groups, Edward takes time for sailing, fencing, and working as an extra in motion pictures. You may visit him online at edwardmcdermott.net. It will be read for us this evening by Mr. Benjamin Sperduto. Invisible Men by Edward McDermott You must please help me, he said. Please, I, I must have your help. His raspy voice had a touch of a northern accent that made it harsher. His eyes hid behind massive frames that supported thick glasses. How his nose, a monument in its own right, supported the weight was beyond my comprehension. However, those glasses took their toll, forcing his head down and giving him a permanent stoop. Certainly, I replied to the man I would learn to call Zeph. We were in the library, and I was a librarian. Actually, I was only part-time, minimum wage help. First, he said, I am sorry I cannot return my book. They stole it from me. Whenever I get close to the solution, they always take the critical item. This time they took a library book. I am most sorry. He wore a bright green beret with a white pom-pom on top. His tan raincoat made the hat all the more incongruous. He wore shorts as his only concession to summer. From the rear, you saw only two skinny shanks descending from the raincoat until his executive-length socks hid the calves. Someone stole the book? Who? They did. The Invisible Men. They follow me all the time. I must be so careful they don't follow me here and interrupt my research. Your research? Yes, into invisibility, he said. His mournful eyes enlarged to the size of plums behind those lenses. I had a fit of coughing, 
Invisible men? Driven by routine, I asked for the particulars. Later, I checked the computer and found the stolen book had been returned. Apparently, the invisible thieves are scrupulously honest with the library books they steal. If Zeph's clothing was eccentric, his behavior was even more so. He slunk in and out of the library like a theatrical villain. Seeing him made me want to hum the teddy bear's picnic. The sight of him lurking in the aisles reminded me of the Groucho Marx. I could barely resist the urge to play with a non-existent cigar and flap my eyebrows. Each Saturday, he would arrive at exactly 3 p.m., spend an hour or so rummaging around, and leave by 4.30. A few weeks would pass, and I would find him hovering over my desk again. The other librarians had noticed our previous conversation, and they left this strange old man to me. I found him a responsibility I could not avoid. He became my albatross. You must please help me, he said. I am sorry I cannot return a book. They stole it from me. I am most sorry. Which invisible man took it? I asked flippantly. Oh, he replied, the short one, about five foot four with brown hair. He is a cruel one. He laughs at me, you know. Don't worry about the book, I replied, backing away from the counter. I'll take care of it. Oh, thank you. Any librarian could tell you a public library attracts a strange assortment of people. At 9 a.m., when the library opens, old men come to sit at the wide tables and slowly thumb through the newspapers. You would see the mothers who took out 42 different children's books each time and returned them all a week later. Did they really read six books each night to their child? At lunchtime, men would rush in on their break to scour the shelves for reading material. One bookkeeper only read westerns. Often he returned books from other branches mixed in with ours. That added to our work, so we didn't order any westerns, hoping he wouldn't come back. However, he always found some to take with him. Zeph became my particular burden. Every week or two, he would come, groveling, asking for some aid with his insane quest. Nothing would satisfy this monster. Request after request ate up my days and added to my work. His voice set my teeth on edge. Like the girl who smiles in pity at a pimple monster and becomes the object of unwanted adoration, I was trapped by my kindness. I took to hiding from him. I timed my breaks to avoid him. I volunteered for the checkout counter, the dullest and most hectic work on weekends, where the flow of patrons was a raging river that kept us apart. However, even the mightiest river sometimes runs dry, and there he stood, waiting for me. Zeph took to coming to the library more frequently. Instead of merely Saturday afternoon, he might arrive on any day, or sometimes more than once a day. He gave me no peace. I asked for a transfer to another branch without success. I considered quitting, but I had car payments. Other jobs were scarce. I spent my nights thinking of schemes to avoid him. He even evaded my dreams, always with the same groveling humility that was nothing of the sort. Throughout the summer, he dogged my steps. When September came, I regretted I had not applied to university or college. I wished I hadn't graduated from high school. I prayed he would go. If I was abrupt with him, he groveled even more. If I told him I couldn't help him, he would slink away but always return a day or so later. It made me want to scream. One wet November day, 
the kind where the color of fall has passed and the beauty of winter not yet arrived, I could stand no more. November rains always depressed me. My father was in the hospital, and my girlfriend had decided we should just be friends. I prayed Zeph would not appear on this day, but he came slinking over to the counter. I would end this now, even if it cost me my job. Couldn't please you help me? He asked. What now? I said, in a surly voice which attracted a stern look of rebuke from the head librarian. For an instant, I considered turning Zeph over to her, but she had her own ways to pay me back and make my life more miserable. I can find nothing on invisibility in the catalog. How can I make myself invisible if they have taken the cards out of the catalog? I leaned forward. In a whisper, I asked, Do you really want a formula to make yourself invisible? Yes. If I had such a formula, they could not find me. For years I have searched for it, but each time I get close to the solution, they take away some vital ingredient. If I give you the solution, you won't have to come to the library anymore, will you? If I give you the solution, will you promise never to talk to me again? Do, do you know the secret? He asked, surprised. One so young should not have such knowledge. Do you promise? With the secret, I will come here no more. I will have no need. I will laugh and play and pull the beards of those who laughed at old Zeph. Come, follow me, I replied. It's been hidden in the library all this time, but you have to know where to look. He trotted behind me with small, quick steps as I strode to the reference area where the encyclopedias are kept. I pulled down the eye volume of Britannica. I placed it on a table and flipped through the pages. Halfway through, I appeared to pull something out from between two pages and handed it to him. What is this? he asked, holding the plastic sheet and staring at it like a myopic turtle. Shh, I whispered. It's the secret you've been looking for. It's all on the cellophane. Take it now and read it carefully. But, but I don't see anything, he replied. Naturally, I said. The secret is written with invisible ink. Now take it home before they steal it from you. That thought made him hold the cellophane close to his chest and scuttle away like a big overgrown beetle, the pom-pom on his beret shaking with each step. He left me without another word, not even a thank you. I sighed. At least I was rid of him for the rest of today. And all it took was the cling wrap from my lunchtime sandwich. No Zeph appeared the next day or the one that followed. On Saturday, Zeph remained absent. Aside from a burst of relief and a thank you to the god of fools and madmen, I gave it no further thought. I had other concerns in my life. Christmas shopping called. As the days rolled by, I rarely gave Zeph more than a passing thought. Just before Christmas, a short man with a massive nose and myopic watery eyes came to my desk. His quick jerky steps, his trick of jerking his head from side to side... His thinning hair reminded me of someone and filled me with dread. I hoped he only wanted a new library card. Excuse me, he began. I wonder if you could help me. 
My Uncle Zeph talked about you. He told me you helped him with his research. Oh god, another one, I thought. How can I help you? It's about Uncle Zeph. I was hoping you could tell me about his research. Why don't you ask him? I can't. You see, my Uncle Zeph has disappeared. I see where this is going. Let me explain. The editors have been preparing for Christmas on the slide, despite me explicitly forbidding it, hoping I would not notice. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, while I have a word with them. Andrew? Andrew? Are you still alive down there? Hello? How many Christmas stories did you people purchase? I don't know. I forget. Like two or three? I see. But that's not counting the ones that we didn't get to from last year. I did not authorize this, Andrew. You know very well how I feel about the Christmas season. Don't be such a humbug. Everyone loves the holidays. Everyone but me. But they are most popular episodes, and Kevin and Jed will be so disappointed if we don't air them. What do I care what Kevin or Jed wants? You should all consider yourself lucky that I haven't boiled you in acid and made a new exhibit from your immaculate bones. Now wait just a minute. Where's your Christmas spirit? I have none. Even the Grinch had some. You just need a heart enlarger. Believe me, if such a thing existed, I would have had them all purchased and then destroyed. However, I think, Andrew, you will find that I am not completely without holiday sentiment. I shall allow you all one Christmas card each to send out to loved ones. Really? Of course, I shall be inspecting the contents before any are mailed away, lest any of you should attempt to appeal to the authorities. Of course. And one last thing. Yes? Go to a dictionary and look up the definition of humbug. You are supposed to be an editor. Oscar, Oscar, listen to me. You can't send me back down there if we don't air those Christmas episodes. You don't know what it's like, muttering gibberish all day, getting all twitchy. When Kevin and Jed get bored, the knives come out, and I'm not talking metaphorical knives. And guess who the target always is? You gotta air those Christmas episodes. My life depends on it. Yeah, for some rum and eggnog. One Christmas tradition that I don't mind keeping. Gallery of Curiosities is produced under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attribution no derivatives license. Don't sell it, change it, or make a transcript. If you like the show, leave us stars and reviews on iTunes and tell your friends to listen. If they won't listen, get new friends. This evening's story music was by Kevin McLeod. Our theme song is Ashes Ashes by Deus Ex Vapora Machina. 
This episode was released in December of 2017. For full show notes, visit us on the web at gallerycurious.com. Hello. Yes, is this the Acme Chemical Company? I'd like to purchase 300 gallons of your fast-acting defleshing solution. Charge it to the account of Osgood Underby at the Gallery of Curiosities. Oh yes, you better believe I'm a preferred customer.